Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at capitalchurch.co. Uh, are you guys doing well this morning? Come on, how many are doing well? How about on this side? All right, how many Boise State Bronco fans do we have? Come on, everybody in the count of three. One, two, three, say go Broncos. We love the Broncos. If you're an Idaho Vandal fan, we will pray for your soul. There is something profoundly wrong with you. Uh, anyways, uh, I'm glad you made it here today. Man, we've been blessed uh, in this season of church. And uh, I, I don't know if, how many of you here two weeks ago with uh, Benny Perez. Were you guys blessed by that? And so, man, he, uh, I thought he just did an extraordinary job of communicating the love of God to us. And uh, we had a couple nights where God just did some incredible things in, in our church. And then I'm just so thankful for him. And then I'm thankful for Pastor Ken, my dad, my father, who spoke last week. And he did an extraordinary job. Again, aren't we so blessed with our teaching team and guest speakers? And I also want to thank our worship team. Guys, can you get our worship team? Love them so much. Love them so much. All right, turn to your neighbor and say, man, I'm so glad you made it. All right. Well, we've been in a message series on prayer, and I actually, this the last few days, uh, I've been thinking about changing my message. So late last night, this morning, I rewrote this message, and so I hope this makes sense to you. I really wanted to talk about intercession, this big kind of prayer. I'm going to talk about that over the next few weeks, so please come back. It's going to be, I think it's going to be the best messages you've ever heard in your life. No? It's going to change. It's going to, yeah, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to preach the hell out of all of us. Okay. (laughs) So please come back. Don't be intimidated by intercession. It's, it's, I think it's a message that we need to hear, especially the church in America. We really need it with just the craziness that's going on in, in politics and just our, our cultural moment. We need, how many of you know this? We need Jesus. We need Jesus. Uh, But I feel like I really need to talk about the basis of not just human flourishing, but the basis of our life, our praying, intercession. And this is what our teaching passage speaks uh, to today. Uh, before I do that, the last, as, as many of you know, I have seven children. And uh, I'm a 45-year-old man, and I have no business having seven children. <laughs> Every day I take deep breaths, right? I don't know who to blame. Is this God? Does, does God love me, Right? I'm trying to figure out, does God love me or should I blame my wife? I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty handsome, guys. Anyways, um, seven children, but this last year, my two oldest twins, so I have three sets of twins, but my oldest set of twins, they're 10. I can't believe they're 10. Wesley and Quincy. Everyone say Wesley and Quincy. So Wesley and Quincy, they, they, I call them my th- sons of thunder. And so they like to play with me. They're, they're somewhat respectful. We're kind of in that weird season where I want them to call me king, but they're, you know, they're not, they're not too keen on that I, I, idea. Um, but this last, I like to play with you guys. This last um, year, 
Wesley started calling me sir. And he started saluting me. And then Quincy followed his older brother and started calling me Pastor Chris or Pastor Daddy. And so I sat them down and I walked them through the correspondence theory of truth. They're like, Dad, shut up, right? What does that even mean? I talked about the philosophy of words and language and that didn't make sense to them. So I just kind of dumbed it down and said this, guys, here's the problem with you calling me sir. Sir is holy. Everyone say holy. Not H-O-L-Y, W-H-O-L-L-Y. Did I get that right? Wholly inadequate in describing my relationship with you two little stinkers. Right? Why? Well, sir infers what? It, it infers respect. What's respect? Is that a good thing? Yeah. It's a great thing. But I'm not just um, a, a sir. Because sir also intimates distance. There's, and I didn't say it like this, but there's, exist, there's an existential space when you invoke that word sir between two parties, right? There isn't, a, there, there isn't affection, right? And in many cases, um, sir can be a pejorative term of an overly demanding person. So I walked them through that, and of course I'm like, and I didn't say this to them, but I am not a caricature of a bygone generation of father who is emotionally disconnected from their children. I'm not that kind of dad. I know I'm not a perfect father, but I'm emotionally connected most of the time, right, with my children. Pastor Chris is similar. Pastor Chris is similar in the same way um, in that it's a title, um, and that's good. Um, It's formal, and that's certainly okay, but again... It cannot, and it doesn't capture the reality of my daily life with all seven of my children. Now, let me just, I'm going to qualify before I even move on. I am not even close to the perfect father, right? Some of you are way better fathers than me. And the reason why is because you have one child. Right? So, I'm not saying... Like, I hate these messages when the, when the preacher man's like, oh, look at all his good stuff and accolades. I'm not, that's not my heart today. I, I'm far from being a perfect father. But here's the thing. My relationship with my children is far more comprehensive, and it's so much deeper than a mere formality of Pastor Chris. And so I had to make this very clear that the reason you can't call me uh, sir or pastor, and the reason why I want you to call me your dad is... I helped you, mostly my wife, mostly your mom. And moms, can I just, let's just settle the debate. Moms are better than dads. Come on, no, 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 no. I'm going to say that again. Moms are better than dads. And dads, can I get an amen? If but for the grace of God and my wife, we're going down, people. We're going down. My family, we have no shot. But I said, the reason you call me dad is because I I help, again, mostly your mom, but I help you bring you into, I help bring you into this world. Uh, And I told the story, the the very first story of me changing a diaper. We brought my son, our our twin boys home, and my wife was in the other room, and I had to tell Q this, hey, Q, you were in this particular room. It was the first time I ever changed a diaper. I didn't know you, a, a, a human could projectile poop like that. I open up the, di- by the diaper, I'll try to talk here, and you, you literally pooped all over the wall, you pooped all over yourself, and you pooped on like the half, this side of my face. 
So thankfully, my father, my father came and I yelled, dad, right? He comes into the room. He looks at the situation, assesses it, turns and looks to my wife, says, Kel, your husband needs you. I'm like, as I'm trying to change his diaper, right? It's funny, one, one person who, and, and I probably disagree with this theological understanding of sainthood, but he says, the way you want to be a saint is you got to pray a lot or become a parent. Yeah, exactly. Parenting will do one or two things to you. It will turn you into a, a self-giving person, yeah. or you will lose your mind, yeah. right? You choose. <laughs> you choose. But I had to walk them through the reasons why they call me dad, not sir. Because sir, again, implies that there's some sort of existential um, distance between us. And I'm like, no, Q, I changed your diaper with poop all over my face. I remember, my wife can attest to this, I remember at nights, and it was mostly my wife staying up all, all night, and she was filled with joy. I didn't even know how you did what you did for nine months. My wife was like, she was like on cloud nine, skipping. She loved no sleep. Sleep deprivation didn't affect her. Sleep deprivation destroys my brain. And I, I, I had to tell them there were times when I would feed them every now and then. I would stay up late and then I would hallucinate and I would literally come down the stairs with a bottle in my left hand and a pillow in my right hand. And I would have to ask my wife, is this a baby in my arm? This is what I did for you, Wesley and Quincy. I, I gave my life away for you. And then I had to remind them when we went to Dick's Sporting Goods. I've shared this story before. And in the back, there's this track. And they were horse playing. And Q was, they were running around. And Q was getting beat by his older brother, Wesley. And Q got frustrated. So he shoved his older brother into a metal spike. And I didn't know someone could bleed like that. His head was like squirting blood. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, what's going on? So I get my new shirt, guys. My new, brand new shirt. I had to take it off because I work out and I didn't mind, you know. And I had to, like, put it around his head. I was grabbing other shirts and putting it around his head. And blood's everywhere. And I'm like, oh, what, what am I going to do? Call the, you know, the ambulance. And, and I, I, I nursed them back to health. And I did the stitches. I didn't do that. We rushed him to the hospital and took care of him and... It's so funny the whole time Quincy's like, I killed my brother. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's funny as parents, we, we give our entire lives away for our children. To be a parent is to understand somewhat, somewhat the heart of our father in heaven. You begin to learn the art of giving your life away. It's fascinating. I, I can't tell you how many times I read Dr. Seuss to my kids as they urinated on me. If any of you did one of those things to me, I'm saying get out of my life. Bye-bye. You urinate on me, see you later. I love you, but you're going to another church. But here's the thing. There's a mystery written into the fabric. And paraphrasing one pastor into the fabric of the parent's heart. It is this visceral, affectionate love for one's children. You see, the New Testament has a word, and I just follow kind of my logic here today. The New Testament has 
a word which summarizes the inexhaustible heart of a parent. It's called compassion. In fact, the Bible over and over and over says this about Jesus. Jesus was moved with compassion. The literal translation means this. The bowels of Jesus were moved for people. What, so, so the New Testament authors and biographers were not suggesting that Jesus had to go to the toilet all the time, right? What they're suggesting is that the love that Jesus had for people ran deep. Yeah. Ran so deep that it moved Jesus to act in healing ways, to feed the crowds. To, I, let me say this. I think compassion is the sine qua non of every healing that you find in the story of the Bible. Jesus was moved with compassion and he healed the sick. And we still believe that Jesus can do that today. So we come to our passage, Romans chapter 8. And the whole context is the Father's love for us. Before I get into that, Romans 8 is an astounding, everyone say astounding. It's an astounding passage. Some scholars call it the literary heights, not just of the book of Romans, not just even of the Bible, but it's the literary heights of Western civilization. Paul touches on all the themes of, of freedom and uh, God's brand new world launched through or inaugurated through the spirit. Paul touches on the, the theme, this grand theme of the renewal of space and time and matter. Here's the good news. Uh, the ultimate Christian large scale hope is not that you and I will go to some disembodied place and shine like Rihanna's diamonds or an electric light bulb for the rest of our life, right? With a disembodied cello. Can I get an amen to that? The hope that we find in Romans chapter 8 is that Jesus will return one day and make all things new. He will wipe away all tears. He will remove all pain and suffering. It is Jesus who defeated the twin powers that have defaced creation. Sin, it's a singular power. Death, it's a singular power. They work in tandem. They're the inside and the outside of the same thing. Jesus on the cross overthrew their power and inaugurated or launched God's brand new world. And you and I can now be a part of that. So we're looking forward to the day when this, this planet will be physically renewed by King Jesus. And then we come to uh, the end as Paul finishes this uh, soaring chapter all about God's love and, and all about the uh, themes of freedom. And he finishes this chapter with a breathtaking portrait of God's unconquerable love. And this is what he says, nothing, everyone say nothing. nothing. Nothing can separate us, not plague or death or height or powers or suffering or pain can ever su separate us from the love of the Father. Amen. But at the heart of this passage, and I'm going to read this here pretty soon, the heart of this passage, Paul shows us the bottom, the very bottom of reality. In no uncertain terms, Paul tells us what life is all about. It's about being a son and daughter yes. of Abba, yes. Father. Yes. Abba, Father. If we don't get this, we won't get right. peace. Right. We don't get this. We won't get healing. If we don't get this. We won't get joy. If we don't get this, we can't overcome that, that paralyzing sense of anxiety and loneliness and despair. If we don't understand that God in heaven, who is ruling creation, is your Abba Father. 
we lose everything that God promises in Scripture. So here we come in Romans chapter 8, 14 through 17. says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Sonship in the ancient world was, was a male, obviously male-dominated experience, but sonship here is radically redefined through Jesus. Sonship is all about someone receiving inheritance from their father. But through Jesus, we know that male and female, Greek and barbarian, come on somebody, pagans, whether you're, doesn't matter what side of the tracks you were born on, come on somebody, doesn't matter what you've done in life, but if you've come to King Jesus, doesn't matter your family origin, your dysfunction, the color of your skin, whatever, but in King Jesus, you receive an inheritance. That you are a child of King Jesus. You're not a second-class citizen. Come on, somebody. You're not sitting on the outside looking in. And it's all because of the grace and the achievements of King Jesus. And verse 15, we move into, and Paul says this, for you do not receive the spirit of, of slavery to fall back into fear. Let me just say something really quick about fear, because fear is rampant in our, in our society. In our age of anxiety, which we have classified many times before, so many people are paralyzed by fear. What is fear? I'm coming to believe that fear is hell prophesying its vision over your life. Here's the good thing, though. We have this contrastive but. But you haven't received fear. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters... By whom we cry, come on, somebody, Abba, Father. And then he continues in verse 16, the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we also suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified in him. Here's the thing, the New Testament which is the effective history of Jesus' influence on his disciples, sees the world, in spite of all the tragedy, everyone say tragedy, sees the world as a cosmic household. And what I'm about to say would have been absolutely remarkable in the ancient world. We are told in no uncertain terms in Romans chapter 8, and it's replete throughout the New Testament, that God is not a remote landlord. He's not a faceless bureaucrat. He's not your sir. He's not pastor daddy. They can call me king daddy, but let's move on. My kids, he's not some, I don't know, aloof cosmocrat. He is to be known. This is what the Bible tells us. He is to be known as none other, our father in heaven, none other than Abba. Not sir. Not some aloof, distant landlord. That's unconcerned with our daily life with our money, with our finances, with our body, with our health, with our children, with everything that matters to us. No, we are to see God as our Abba who has given himself entirely to us. You see, the four Gospels are written in Greek, right? We all know that. Except a few terms. And one term that is striking is Abba. Abba is the Aramaic term, according to uh, Tyler Staten, which he suggests, which remains untranslated, most likely because of an unwillingness on the part of the gospel biographers to diminish the voice of Jesus. Abba, in other words, is what Jesus calls his father. 
Not Adonai, not Elohim, which was the standard way of calling God in the world of Jesus, which were terms, and these are good, good things, they were terms of reverence and respect, but they did not capture the staggering relationship, in the words of one pastor, the staggering relationship that Jesus had with his father. Jesus refers to God as Abba, Father. Amen. The closest thing we have to this in English, to Abba, is Dada and Daddy. Yeah. It's what my two-year-old twins and one-year-old twins, and hopefully there's no one after that. <laughs> Do you see the exhaustion in my eyes? It's what they call me. They call me Dada or Daddy, and I love it. But when they turn 30, I've not done my job if they continue to call me Dada and Daddy. <laughs> Thus the problem with this English translation of this Aramaic term, Abba. It's so untranslatable, it's so fresh, it's so staggering that it's best left untranslated. This is why English translations keep Abba untranslated, which implies words cannot adequately describe the staggering relationship Jesus had with his father. And because of the life, death, burial, and resurrection, bodily resurrection of Jesus, and his ascension into heaven, and now Jesus is Lord over human history. He's Lord over everything from politics to pandemics. Can I get an amen, church? And he's moving history towards this powerful renewal of all things. But through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you and I, if we're in Christ, we also can know God as Abba and Father, as Jesus did. You see, Abba is the basis of all prayer. It's the basis of all intercession. It's the basis of all living and breathing and thinking and speaking. Man, if, if let, let me say this. Some of you are like, are, is this like Sunday school class, Chris? Why are we talking about this? I get this. I got this in first grade. No, 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 no. Some of us think that talking about the love of God is like the ABCs of Christianity. No, I just disagree. It's not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A and Z of Christianity. It's the everything. If the bottom drops out or if the center does not hold, we lose it all. And this is the very center of our existence that your God that sent his son into human history and gave his life is not some distant, remote deity. He is your Abba and you are his son and you are his daughter and he loves you with an everlasting love. I say this all the time, but Henry Nowen, he, he said this, the reason why so many people struggle with prayer is because they believe God to be more demanding than loving. Wow. 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 Right? Many of us hold this unconscious belief that God, man, yeah, intellectually, yeah, I know, I'm supposed to believe this, that God loves me. But honestly, your day-to-day -day experience and how you think because of toxic ways of thinking doesn't reflect that. You come to church and maybe you get whipped up in the emotion of worship and worship is amazing. Can I get an amen? amen? But when you leave church and you go home, you're still left with this unrelenting sense that no, God doesn't really love me as Abba and Father. We don't know, many of us, even in the church today, don't know God is Abba who sees us. Do you know that? He sees you. Who knows you? Who, who, he knows all of you. He knows every aspect of your life. He knows your history. 
He knows that weird thought that you thought five minutes ago that you thought I wasn't a good preacher. Okay, come on. I rebuke that. The devil's a liar. But he, 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 your, your father is so intimately connected with you. And he, he loves us with so much love. Even when we're unlovable. Even when we're unlovable. He loves us. You see, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to land this plank. I've got to land this plank. I've got 11 minutes. You think I can end this message in 11 minutes? Everyone's shaking their head no. You're right. It's not going to happen. God's got a miracles. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a theologian, and I'm a pastor. I'm not a sociologist, but I've done a little bit of sociology, and I believe this to be true, and if you disagree with me, you're wrong, okay? So if you're a sociologist, you can leave right now, okay? So this is my, my belief. Something happened in the 60s and 70s. We all kind of know. I, I was born in 1976, but before I was born, there was this great unraveling of our social fabric, and uh, it was connected to uh, the countercultural revolution and anti-authority movement, which was all organized. This is fascinating to me. It was all organized around this abstract demand. If you talk to anyone, the, we- the Weather Underground movement, you talk to anybody who led some of the countercultural protests, they all referred to this abstract demand. Well, I come, I've come to believe that that was simply a projection. That abstract man was a projection for an entire generation of young people, a projection of not being seen by their father. They weren't mad at the man. They were mad at their father. Well, how so, Chris? Well, World War II, we have the greatest generation. Can we give it up to the greatest generation? Absolutely amazing. They saved the world, people. We have 18, 19, 20-year-old Young men going to war, storming the beaches of Normandy, going to the Pacific Theater, some of them going to the Atlantic Theater. My grandfather was in the Atlantic, or excuse me, in the Pacific Theater. And uh, the stories he told me were just unimaginable. The things that he saw. War, guys, is absolutely hell. Could you imagine being a 19-year-old kid, and you're fighting, you're storming the beaches of Normandy, and you're in a foxhole, and your body gets blown up? You can't even imagine anything like that. We win the war. The greatest generation saves the world from Nazi oppression. And they come home, and these young men start families. They go to work, and they generate probably the greatest economic boom in American history. But here's the problem. We didn't have a word for what they were going through. It's called trauma. You go through war, you will experience psychological trauma that you can't even imagine. And so this is a generalization, and there's certainly exceptions to the rule of this, but many of these great young men who saved the world came home, started families, and could not emotionally connect with their children because of trauma, which became the seabed of rebellion in their children. You see, I think many of us engage in toxic behavior I'm going to trace it back not just to your, your earthly father or mother or authority figure in your life, but I think in many cases we engage in dehumanizing behavior because we truly don't believe we're seen. I believe it's a fundamental, fundamental fact of the universe. 
And it's built into us by God himself. We have a desire to be seen by not just our earthly father, but by our father in heaven. That desire for significance and meaning and purpose is a good thing. The problem is, is we twist it when we do not believe we're seen. And yet what we have here in Romans chapter 5, and it's replete throughout the New Testament, is that the Father and the Son were working together. My prof always says, Chris, when you talk to your, your uh, church about this, you've got to make sure that it's Christ working with the Father, and together they died on the cross for us. And in Romans chapter 5, it says that while we were still in our sin, when we were weak, we were broken, we were crazy, we were busted, we were disgusting, we were ugly, we were unlovable. Come on, somebody. Christ died for us. What is that? That's another way of saying that your father in heaven is not some remote deity. He is your Abba. He is your father. My ultimate goal in this message, I don't care if you've been in the church for 30 years. I don't care if you've been in the church for like three Sundays. This message, I think, is the absolute bottom of everything that we should believe and talk about. This message should shape everything we do and think and believe. Your Father in heaven loves you with an everlasting love. Now, I got to qualify because there's a lot of quackery out there. Come on, can I get an amen to that? Come on, can I say that again? There's a lot of quackery out there. You go on social media, a lot of quacks. Right? So I got to qualify this because what I'm not suggesting is that, oh, okay, we got to play to our cultural moment where basically 19th century romanticism, which shapes our understanding of the therapeutic self, that what Chris is really talking about is we got to love ourselves. No. No, no, no. I've come to learn that the more I try to love myself, the, the, the more I hate myself. Right? Like when you get to the bottom of who you are, you are not. And I'm going to offend some people, but just listen to me. I'm going to sit down and prepare myself for the glares. You are not a basically good person. At the core of who you are is not some unalloyed goodness. Right? And I think I'm a pretty good guy. You know, I'm a redhead and I work out. So... But I know that deep down inside, if not for the grace of God, I'm hurting people. I'm cussing people out on Eagle Road. I'm losing my mind over little things. Man, my heart would be filled with resentment if not for the the love of Jesus. My heart would be filled with bitterness and shame and loathing if not but for the love of Jesus. Come on. And when we think about the cross, I think we narrow it down. I'm going to have a cross series coming pretty soon. But we got to think of the cross way more comprehensively than we, than we usually do. But when it comes to the cross, the cross is not just like some one-time event. And it is. It's a unique event where Jesus saved the world and inaugurated his kingdom without question and overthrew all the powers. But ultimately, the cross is a demonstration, not that God just did something one time and loved us one time, but it's a demonstration 
of who God is all the time. The God we serve is a God of utter self-giving love. And it was a transformative genius of of early Christianity that saw the symbols of the cross, in the words of N.T. Wright, which had spoken of Caesar's naked power, might now, because of Jesus and his death, speak of God's naked love. When you look at the cross, that's not just a one-time event. It is a one-time event. But it's also a window into the character of who God is. He's a God defined by giving himself away to his people. Tyler Staten says this, it's so important because many times we have an intellectual belief that, yeah, God loves me, but we, it's kind of cognitive dissonance. We don't really believe that when it comes to Monday and we go to work and we don't feel well. And then that person said this, and then your, your children are screaming and you want to lose your mind or whatever we go through in our daily lives. When it comes down to it, there's so many Christians in the church in the Western world that don't believe that God is their Abba. In other words, the Tyler Satan, it's so important that we take this serious. That we let Abba get into the into our bones. That we allow Abba to rewrite rewrite our family history and our generational dysfunction. That we let Abba travel the neural pathways of our brain. Come on, somebody, and heal our self-destructive thought patterns. That we would allow Abba to come. Out down to the, to the very depths of our gut, our mind-gut connection, until it, until it heals our radical anxiety and trauma and loneliness. One scholar says, I never leave prayer until I sense the love of God. I never leave. I stay in it until I sense God's love because that's the foundation of not just my life, but all of life. So as I close here, this is, this is miraculous, guys. As I close here, one scholar says this, what should our response be to Abba, Father? Well, the best way to respond in John's gospel, the biographer tells us all these extraordinary um, events centered around Jesus. And at the very end of John's gospel, what does he say? I've written about all these events so that you might Believe. What's our response today? Believe. But there's a problem with that. We usually think belief is like some intellectual, abstract exchange of ideas. It certainly can mean that, but it's far deeper than that. Belief, according to this one scholar, and probably the best way to translate it in in modern vernacular, is is to take belief and call it relax. Believe that Jesus is your father, your Abba, that Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection has made available a new kind of existence, a new kind of relationship. Come on. We call this new creation, a new way of living. It's a new way of overcoming shame and addictions and hopelessness and fear and despair and everything that plagues human existence. It's relax. So it seems like John is saying, what do you want us to do, Jesus? You died for us. You're our Abba. You're our Father. How should we respond? And I think Jesus would say, relax. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Good. Wow. Good. 
Relax. Smile. You didn't die for humanity. I did. You don't have to save the world. I did. You don't have to heal yourself. I will. You don't have to overcome, uh, overcome that addiction in your own strength. But I will help you by my spirit. It's me. I'm here. I'm not far away. I love you. I love you. Some of you need to hear this. God loves you. He loves you. So we can relax then in God's everlasting love. We can, if we take this seriously, we can relax in his promises for us. It's something I'm learning. I'm still learning. But in the face of uncertain times and anxiety and suffering and pain, we still can have joy and peace and hope. Because we know that Jesus is our Father. He's our Abba. And just like I wasn't going to leave my son in his dirty diaper for weeks on end, right? And just like I wasn't going to just not feed my kids because I was hallucinating. And just like in that store, I wasn't going to just let my son bleed to death. And I am just not the greatest father in the world. How much more your father in heaven will not let you go. Won't let you go. He's not going to let you go. And I'm more of a, like, I, I hate emoting, right? I'm an intellectual guy, but I just got I feel it this morning. He's not going to let you go. He's the God of self-giving love. So if you're an addict here today and your whole thought world is, I feel like I'm just going through this neighborhood and I can't get out and I always find myself at a cul-de-sac and I just feel like I just, I'm never going to get out of this addiction Here's good news. Your father, your Abba can heal you today. Some of you, you are, you are so consumed by this profound need for affirmation. You have turned other people into rivals. And you compare and you compare and you compare. And you go on social media and you even compare even more. Can we just go down with social media? Right? No? Okay. Wrong crowd. I'll go next week. We'll talk more about that. Like some of you, you just, you, you, you've turned people into competitive rival because you don't really know that you have been accepted and loved by your father in heaven. And so you're comparing yourself with other people and it's creating distance in relationship. Do you, I, I believe God can heal you today. I believe some of you, God can travel through your neural pathways and completely rewrite your synapses and make all things new. Some of you have this heavy sense of despair and depression. God can heal you today. He's your Abba. He's your Father. As I close, I just always want to end with a practice. What's our practice this week? It's not sophisticated. It's just really simple. What I want you to do for seven days, it's a response to this message. I want you, you can wake up, you do this in the morning, drink some coffee. I want you to go in prayer, and I just want you to say these two words, Abba, Father. Just say, Abba, Father. 
you go to work because things happen. Life happens, right? You go to work, something happens, right? You don't like it. This is what I want you to do. I want you to take five minutes, get out of everything, and just, if it means get in your car, maybe drive around a little bit, just say, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. I thank you that you're my Father, and I'm not enslaved to the inferior voices of fear. You say, Abba, Father. You just stay there. You say, God, I thank you you're my Abba, my Father. I don't feel like it right now, but I'm not going to live by my feelings. I'm going to live by my faith and my confidence that you love me and that you're going to work out all things, all the idiosyncrasies of my life and the minutia of my life. You're going to work it all out. I can't figure it out, but you're still my father and you're going to make all bad things good. This is our practice just throughout your day. Call out to God in prayer, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, and ask the Holy Spirit to pour out his love into your heart. I want to close with this. I don't know who said this, but I think this adequately describes like our response this week to this message. And she writes, there's a fashion today which exhorts us to live into things, to live into our baptism, to live into our calling or into our mission. I think that's a very 21st century humanist do-it-yourself way of speaking. We don't live into the vine who is the life of the church and the source of every Christian. It's the vine who lives into us. We live, in other words, from the vine. We live from the word of God. We live from the body and the oils of Christ. And we live from the tireless work of the Holy Spirit, which is brand new every single day. We don't live into Christ, she is saying. We live from his love. We live from his joy. We live from his victory. We live from his hope. We live from his peace. Come on, somebody. We live from his care. We live from his concern. We live from his understanding that he has your future in his hand. We live from Isaiah 41, that he will uphold you with his righteous right hand. We live from, come on, somebody, Psalm 28, that he is a shield about us. My heart trusted in him, and I am helped. We live from Psalm 23. Come on. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Come on, somebody. He restores my strength and my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And he leads me through the valley of the shadow of death. And I will fear no evil, for he is with me. His rod and his staff They comfort me. We live from that. And he will anoint my head with oil in the presence of of my enemies. And surely, surely, everyone say surely. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life forever. We live from this reality that we are sons and daughters of our Abba and our Father. Let's start here. Let's go deep. Some of you, I th- I'll just be really honest, I think you're in, the, you're in the, the shallow side of the pool. You've been scared. You, you don't want to take a risk. You're not sure if God is demanding or loving. And you kind of just, you got your floaties on like my kids. You're kind of in the shallow end. You don't want to jump into the deep. My challenge for this church is let's jump, guys. Let's jump in the deep pool of God's love. 
Let's allow him to rewire our neural pathways. Let's let him heal our generational trauma. Let us let him heal our family dysfunction. Let let him heal our this deep need to depersonalize other people because we need affirmation. Let him come and heal our bodies from chronic disease. Come on, somebody. Let's jump in this week, this month, this next year into the love of the Father. Anybody with me? Amen. Fire your heads, close your eyes. We got football and barbecue coming up here pretty soon. Somebody saying bad words in your mind because we've gone a little too late. But hey, just stay with me. I want to pray for those today who need healing from trauma. Some people, you have these destructive, I felt it this morning as I was praying for you, destructive thought patterns. And the Holy Spirit this morning wants to, through his power and his healing, rewire your brain. Some of you are living with such a profound sense of anxiety. It's in your gut. And I want to pray that God would come to that, the very source of your anxiety and bring healing to that. The Bible is very clear that perfect love casts out all fear. My prayer, my one prayer today for all of us is that the love of the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will be poured out into your mind and into your heart. Some of you have been so defined by the legacy of your family and it's been so dysfunctional. You just, you've assumed you have no future, but we're going to break that off today in Jesus' name. So as your eyes are closed, your heads are bowed, you say, Chris, that's me. I want you to pray for me. I need healing from trauma. I need, I need healing in my heart. I, I, I need to be set free from this addiction. Some of you, and there's no... No shame in this, but you have been hiding secret sins and you're so filled with shame and loathing. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. God doesn't want to expose you. He wants you. He invites you into confession because he loves you. And as you confess your sin, guess what happens? There's healing that comes to your heart and your mind. You see your father in heaven wants to bring radical healing transformation in your life today. If you're a part of any of those groups and you want me to pray for you on the count of three, could you just raise Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.